Thank you. 
our Bible study when, when David was uh, the king and establishing the ministry at the tabernacle, he appointed uh, worshipers 2 Timothy chapter 3. So uh, I'm going to use this diagram again. You guys will remember it from yesterday. I mean, I'm sorry, last week. So uh, the story of the Bible, in one word, is the story of reconciliation. Okay? Helps to simplify sometimes. Uh, if you ever want to just kind of boil it all down to one word, God is reconciling all things back to himself through Christ, right? That's what it says in... Second Corinthians chapter 5 and 
and it says in that same passage that uh, as we are invited into being reconciled to the Father through Christ, we are also accepting the invitation into the ministry of reconciliation, which is joining in the Father's purposes and plans to see all things reconciled unto him. That is the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul calls it. So reconciliation is just, in, in simple terms, it's just being brought near, right? Being returned to closeness, returned to relationship. So um, if, if we're over here, this is you and me and our families and the church body, we're over here and God is here, reconciliation is constantly being drawn closer to him. All right, so this picture just kind of helps us see what that looks like. I'll, I'll draw a big arrow here. probably spell reconciliation wrong but you get the idea everything moving towards the father all right so in this box is life all right post being born again this is a message for the born again bride of Christ uh, we are first the first step in the reconciliation process of course is receiving uh, the work of Christ on the cross that is the that is the the single starting point being marked by the blood of the true unblemished lamb. But once that is done, there is an ongoing uh, reconciliation process that we are invited to engage for the rest of our life. There's always more closeness to the Father that's available to us, right? And what we talked about last week is kind of in this gap that's in between us and the Father is all the different aspects of life that happen. Right, so what are some of those? Work. Another one. Parenting. Another one. Huh? Another one. How about a kid? Playing. Heck yeah. School. What was that last one? Learning? School. Okay, so um, so so we have all these things in life that are constantly happening, constantly going to happen. In no way does the Word of God call us to stop doing these things, avoid these things, you know, be cut off from these things. Uh, what the Word of God uh, invites us to do is engage each of these things in a very specific way, uh, specifically God's ways, and that when we do that and as we do that, we are actually further reconciled unto the Lord. Does that make sense? So to summarize and, and, and really uh, summarize all of last week's message, it's, it's, um, we spent a whole hour going through passage after passage after passage that basically teaches um, that the way in which we relate to the Father or the way in which that we grow in our relationship with the Father is by walking in His ways. Right? That was sort of the summary of last week's message. So in each of these areas of, of life, in work and in parenting and in marriage and in cleaning and in playing and in school and every other area, the Word of God basically uh, instructs us on how to go about those things. And, and what basically what the Word teaches is that if you do it God's way, it will be you will be drawn to Him even as you do these things. 
they're not specifically, you know, by most people's standards considered like religious things, but they're not supposed to be, right? There is no religious thing and non-religious thing. It's God speaks and, and, and informs all things. And so our invitation is to just align with God's ways via his word and each of these things um, rather than becoming a distraction or a possible in worst case scenario idol right that draws us away from the Lord each of them can actually be used to draw us to the Lord does that make sense any questions about that okay so I want to um, I want to talk about um, why is that why do God's commandments and specifically walking in God's ways or just being obedient to his commandments, why does that increase or grow our relationship with him? Okay? So Seth said because you're spending time with him, which would, which would suggest that what? That God actually has some commandments regarding spending time with him right and if we obey those commandments regarding spending time with the father that's gonna draw us towards him does that make sense super simple example but that's as simple as it should be god's commandments every single one of them regarding every part of life are meant to draw us to him that's his whole plan reconciliation into the father and he gives a whole bunch of instructions on how to live every single one of them fall into that same category there is no second category they all draw us unto him that one is very obvious there are specific commandments about times specific times that are to be spent with him naturally if you obey those times you are drawn to him you spend time with him that's a good thing what's another one the question is how, just just kind of critically thinking or, or thinking in general, how does obedience to God's commandments help us to relate to him or draw us closer to him? I think, I'm thinking from a parental standpoint and as being a kid at some point in my life, whenever I was disobedient or whenever one of my kids is disobedient, they tend to pull away from me. Okay. And so like I think it's a natural thing that whether it be, even if you can't describe it, there's either a level of guilt or shame or all those things that God would want us to feel, but when we're not being obedient, whether we know it or not, I have a feeling that it pulls us like yep. the complete opposite of what it says to say. Right. So that's sort of the flip side of the coin, right? As obedience draws us to the Father, disobedience creates more gap, right? The Garden of Eden is obviously the kind of the classic theological example, but it's just a general rule of thumb. When you're disobedient, because of shame, because of guilt, because of the, the natural consequences that come with it, you're just drawn away from the Father, right? We've all been on those rebellious benders, you know, whatever they might be, you, you, you're not close to the Father when you're in that place, right? So that's the flip side of it. More, more examples on the obedience side, Angie. Yep, exactly right. How do you love an invisible God otherwise? You know, if you think about it, how do you love an invisible God? That's a difficult, you know, if you get to the point where the work of God's spirit in your life has brought you to a truly a desire to just love God back, 
you know, that's a beautiful place to be, by the way, to be that grateful, to have that much recognition of, of his goodness and what he's done for you, that you just authentically want to love him back. You want to bless God. You want to please God. Well, the Bible makes it very, very clear how we do that. You obey him. That is how you love an invisible God. That is how you please an eternal God. That is how you bless the God that has everything, right? The one thing that he chose not to control is your and I's free will. So the offering it is to just out of love for him, obey his commandments, that is a tangible, put your hands around it, put flesh and bone on it way to love an invisible God. Exactly right. That's such a huge revelation. So few understand that. You know, they think only the only way to really love God is through worship, and worship is an unbelievable way to love God. But we don't worship, you know, 24-7. Some people do. Obedience is an act of worship. It is an act of love. Yes, ma'am. It's because what? I still didn't understand you. It's our duty, yes. Absolutely. God has got it. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yes, Susie. testimony before service started uh, kind of comes into play how many of you would would um, would testify that as you have embraced a level of obedience in any degree in your life in any specific area in your life that obedience in that area blessed you how many would testify to that I mean it's such an unbelievable truth right in fact the word of God talks about it let's let's uh, read that uh, that second timothy 3:16 passage first someone read that out loud real loud and we're just going to go back and refer to this one several times so let's just read it out loud first all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction and righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for, for every good work okay so what thoroughly equips the adopted children of God for every good work. What equips them? The Word of God, right? What is the Word of God? The Word of God is God's perspective on every one of these areas and how we should walk in them, right? Like literally where the rubber hits the road. So, so when, when this was written, by the way, there wasn't a New Testament in place, right? This was written specifically regarding what the Father had spoken and what was recorded in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there is a whole bunch of how to live, right? And what Paul is writing of those things is 
the whole word of God is is inspired by God and is beneficial for correction, reproof, training, and equipping for every good work that we're called to. The ministry of reconciliation, in other words, uh, the, the word of God equips us to participate in that. Okay, let's, let's so so there is a ministry aspect of this that we're going to get to in a second. But before we get to the ministry aspect, I want to I want to stay in this um, area of a blessing because I know this is meant to be super encouraging, right? I know this is meant to be super encouraging to all of us uh, today. That that's just I know that's from the Lord. So so go with me to Deuteronomy chapter thirty. Deuteronomy chapter 30, and I want someone to read out loud, real loud, verses 11 through 20. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. Obey 
other side. Exactly right. So this is so, so important. It is so encouraging if you really hear what's going on here. Because the I love I love God's language in the beginning because he says, look, I'm giving you absolutely everything you need to have a blessed life. And he specifically says, what I'm giving you is not out of your reach. Right? It's not in heaven where you got where you can't go get it. It's not in hell where you can't go get it. It's literally right in front of you. I am literally placing in front of you the choice of either life or death, blessed or cursed. It's right in front of you. It's totally in, in range, in grasp, understandable, black and white. All you got to do is choose. That is awesome, guys. Who was he writing this to? We'll get ready to go with you. Right? He was writing this to a non-born again Right? Only in their flesh group of Israelites. Right? And to that group, he said, it's in your grasp. Okay, what do we have in the new covenant? What is central to the, to the better peace of the new covenant that everyone who was authentically born again automatically receives? The Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit's job is? According to the word of God? not popular Christianity, according to the Word of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to move you and move me to keep God's commandments. Right? So the roadmap to a blessed life, which has never changed and never will, it's always been right in front of us, in grasp, all we got to do is choose it in the new covenant. Not only is that all still true, we're actually given the perfect power source to be able to obey it. Which means what? Which means what regarding a blessed life for everyone in this room? It is 100% available to you. According to the God of the universe. 100% available to you to have an incredible, absolutely amazing blessed life. Right or wrong? Is that not what the Word of God says? In almost like exaggerated terms because I think God was adamant about what he's saying here. And if I, if I had to boil down what the Father is saying here into one word, that word is choose. Choose. Make a choice, Bride of Christ. Do you want to be happy? Be obedient. Do you want to be blessed? Walk in his ways. Listen to me. This is not, by the way, prosperity gospel garbage. Right? This is not name it, name it, and claim it garbage. But the word of God is very clear that if you walk in God's ways and you obey his commandments, blessings come with that. Hear me. Because the, the enemy has taken that truth and skewed it way far to the other side saying all you got to do is speak it out and you can be a millionaire. Right? All you got to do is claim it and you can have your second jet. But that's not biblical. There's only one thing that, that God responds to with blessings. Right? And it is not what you speak. Right? It is the obedience with which you, with which you walk. 
and it always has been, and it always will be. God blesses obedience. Why? What's God in the ministry of? What reconciles us to the Father? Walking in his ways. So why would God not, as a good father, bless us when we choose to be obedient? How many of you have done that for your kids? Right? That's good parenting. When they, when they are obedient to your ways, there should come good fruit. Right? If my kids clean their room, they don't get a spanking for it. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Choose. You know what this next passage that that um, follows what we just read? It's exactly what Joshua comes to the people and says, here's, what's, here's, here's the deal. You basically have three options right now. Speak to the people of God. He said, you can worship the gods of old, right? The idols of your past, the idols that you're coming from, coming out of. Or you can worship the new gods that you're going to encounter in the promised land. You can worship your old gods, or you can worship some new gods. But as for me and my house, you guys have all heard this, it's posted on most of our walls somewhere, we will do what? Serve the Lord. What does Joshua say? Choose. Make a decision and choose. God requires one thing of his people. He wants to be God. He wants you to be obedient. And if you will do that, friends, you can have and you will have an incredibly blessed life. Have we not had shared testimonies that that is the case? Small areas of obedience in small areas of life, when you do it God's way, it's good. You're blessed. You can call it a reward, Jesus did. You can call it a blessing. Whatever you want to call it, it's the key to happiness. Yes, ma'am. The uh, obedience is, is you acknowledging that you recognize God's voice and you're willing to do like you say. Amen. It's not, it's not hard. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.15, while it said today, if you will hear his voice, do not hard your heart as in the rebellion. Right. It's just a matter of acknowledging God that, that he's your father. That's right. recognition of the only thing God is seems to be or the, the very thing that God seems to be the most zealous regarding which is his godness as opposed to everybody else right what's what's Jesus is everything in the new in the old in the Old Testament by the way Jesus essentially reiterates he didn't change anything he didn't add anything and he didn't subtract anything if he did He's now no longer the sin offering, right? We've had that message many times. So everything Jesus spoke, everything he taught aligned perfectly with what God said in the in the Old Testament. Right? So what's the what's the teaching that Jesus 
uh, offers that's pretty much in alignment with this. Anyone remember? What's that? That's yeah. That's basically it. He he says, uh, you know, not one jot or tittle from the law will pass until everything is accomplished, until heaven and earth pass away. Those who teach. Those who walk in my ways and teach others to do the same will be called great. That's all in alignment. Greatness in the kingdom is directly related to obedience to the ways, walking in God's commandments. Just after he says that, he speaks uh, with you. If you hear my words and you put them into practice, you are like what? A builder who builds his house on a rock, right? When the world shifts and the weather changes and craziness happens, you're going to be okay. Versus the guy that hears all this and just chooses not. He's the builder that built his, built his house where? On the sand. No foundation, no stability, no blessing. And in fact, it's actually the opposite. Because where obedience is blessed, what's God's response to disobedience? It's not neutral. It's not. It's what? Cursed. And God is not ambiguous about that. He's, he doesn't hide that fact. He actually is almost like, I mean, as we've read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel, God's like very clear about how he deals with disobedience. I mean, almost like shockingly clear. He goes out of his way to say, if, if you claim to be my people and you choose to not be obedient, I'm literally going to put the calamity in your life on display. He says, people are going to use your life as a proverb and I'm going to be glorified. Because doesn't that actually glorify God? If someone claims that they are a follower and chooses to just totally disobey God's word for that life to be cursed and, and calamity brought to it, doesn't that ultimately prove that God is God? It does. So we need to be understanding of how this all works. God blesses obedience. A blessed life is 100% within your grasp. A cursed life is 100% within your grasp. And I would argue that the bride of Christ will be significantly benefited from the step of maturity that is essentially uh, beginning to take an inventory, or as Jesus would, would would phrase it, start to judge the fruit in your life. And judge the fruit on your life based on this biblical truth. God blesses obedience, and he sends curses upon disobedience. So judge the fruit in your life right now. Seriously. Where's your level of peace? Where's your level of hope? How's your health? How's your finances? 
How are your marriages? How are your relationships with your kids? How are your relationships with your co-workers? Because here's the reality. If we can have the guts to look at an area of our life and see bad fruit and have the courage to basically put it on ourselves and say, that's, that's, my, that's, my, that's on me. I'm out of alignment in that area. There is huge power in that. Right? Because all we got to do is repent and realign in any of those areas where we are experiencing bad fruit. And what's the word of God promise us? Blessing. You can deny, you can deflect, or you can ignore and keep eating sour, nasty, rotten fruit and have your life be put on display in that way to glorify God. Or you can have the courage to say, I'm cursed in this area right now. That takes a lot of courage, by the way. I'm preaching to myself, of course. One of the things that the Lord convicted me of this week in our in our study is, he said just one line, he highlighted to me, we're in, in um, First Chronicles, like around chapter 10. He says, um, just the, the line that he highlighted to me was, uh, was when the Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem into captivity at the hands of the Babylonians. When the Lord carried Judah and Jerusalem into captivity at the hands of the Babylonians. Showing what? Highlighting to me what? God was behind that invasion. God was who allowed that invasion. God was behind the exile. And it was specifically because of Judah and Jerusalem's rebellion and disobedience. Now, how many of you would guess that, that Jerusalem and Judah would never see it that way? Right? They'd see I'm, I'm being persecuted. Right? I'm being attacked. Where's God? And I hear that a whole lot in the church. You know, my life sucks in this area because I'm being persecuted. I would argue that that is usually not the case. I would, I would speculate that a high percentage of the areas in our life where it sucks, it's because of disobedience. Right? And before anyone talks about Job, if that's where you're going, how did the Bible describe Job? Blameless. Blameless before the Lord. His problems were persecution. As soon as any of us are blameless before the Lord and have crap in our life, then we can say we're persecuted. Until that's the case, I think it's way more of an advantage and way more beneficial for us to look in the mirror when we have bad fruit and say, where am I out of alignment? Agree? Any areas coming to mind right now? Any areas of repeated 
patterned bad fruit in your life. I challenge you to look at that relationship, that issue, that whatever it is, look at it closely, examine it. Are you, to the best of your ability, walking out obedience to God's ways in that area? Because if you are not and you expect that bad fruit to change, I got news for you. God ain't going to do that. God can't do that. Right? Whew. I was expecting a more feel-good message today. Yeah. And this is, this is, this is <laughs> meant to be, this is meant to be encouraging. Right? Because the blessed life is 100% available to us. All we got to do is be obedient. The Spirit of God has been put inside you so that you can. Yes, Kyle. Two different things. Curses come because of disobedience, right? And that's where I would, my encouragement would be to assume first that most bad fruit in your life is because of that. Curses for disobedience, right? I, my argument was that persecution, true persecution is biblical and it does come but it came to Job, who was blameless, and it came to Jesus, who was the unblemished lamb, right? It came to Peter and Paul and the apostles, who were pretty darn spirit-filled, obedient guys, right? I think, it's, I think it's deception on the part of the bride of Christ today to just automatically lump all bad fruit into I'm being persecuted. Does that make sense? If, if you're, uh, yeah, you get it. Absolutely. Yes. And why is that, see Jacob? Why is that, Kyle? Because I love you so much. Literally, I don't want any curse on your life. Not in one single area of your life. I love you too so much. I don't want any part of your life cursed because of disobedience. You should be happy every single day. Every day you should have peace and joy. It's totally within your grasp. I'm sick of seeing the bride of Christ beat down and unhappy. I'm sick of unhappiness in the bride of Christ. I'm sick of health issues and financial issues and marital issues and parenting issues and all that crap that is 100% because of disobedience. It's not persecution. It's disobedience. And this is encouragement because obedience is 100% available. What is God having me teach on week after week after week after week? Why would we gather if it's not to learn the ways of God so that we can walk in it? Right? Because I love you guys. And your life should be spectacular. You should wake up so full of joy every day. Full of hope and fire and purpose. And it is totally available to you choose 
because it's bigger than that even. Even though holiness equals happiness, I just made that up, and happiness is not the right word because that's leading, but holiness leads to joy, I will say that. Obedience leads to joy. You know one of the reasons why obedience to God's ways in all of this area draws us to him? You want to know why? Because disobedience in all these areas causes our life to suck. And when your life sucks, it's hard to be about God. So God just wants all this to, to work. He wants it all to work. He wants your marriages to work. He wants your parenting to work. He wants your finances to work. He wants your body to work. In every other area of life, he wants it to work. So he has given us specific instructions that if we will walk in them, not only do they just naturally work because God created it all, he blesses it. Right? So it's like all this can become just a, like a relief. Like when, like I can easily say as, as the Lord has convicted me of things in my life that were idols and that I have, for the most part, pruned from my life, the greatest fruit in my life from it is just relief. Honestly, it's relief that that thing no longer causes me shame, guilt, estrangement from my wife and kids. It's such a relief to be to have it be gone. That's how obedience works. It's how it's part of the blessings with obedience. All these things make life work so that you know what? All of a sudden you can hear from the Lord. How hard is it to hear from God when your life sucks? Right? How hard is it to hear from the Lord when you're fighting with your wife or, or husband? How hard is it to worship God when you can't get along with your kids? Right, so there's an answer to all of it. That took the time to put it in black and white for us. What a gift. Okay, but it's even bigger than that. So go to Ephesians real quick. Not only does holiness offer just peace and relief and joy and hope and health in every area of life, it's even bigger than that. Someone read real, real quick Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through uh, 16, please. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is only one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope.
letter to the church in Ephesus was written, and it's the most uh, thorough and complete single work regarding the purpose of the church, the reason for the church, the why of the church, the who is the church, and what is the church called to be, called to do. And this is the transition that Paul makes beginning in, in chapter 4 to, to really what ministry looks like, right? And, and he says in this passage, you can, you can and, I, and I definitely encourage you to go through this line by line because there's so much to it. Let me just summarize for simplicity a couple of ideas here. But it says, um, it says that Christ gifts each of us. Right? Gives each of us a graces us with a specific gift because and here's the here's the part that's lost so often in, in the, the current church and in the current church model, because every one of us are called to contribute. Right? Every one of us are called to contribute, every one of us are called to participate, every one of us is involved. Every part of us. Every part of this body is called into the ministry of reconciliation. Right? The body's purpose is to carry out the desires of the head, right? Who's the head of the church? Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. The body's purpose is to carry out the will of the head, and every one of us are called to participate. And regarding our participation, the word says that Jesus literally gifts each of us with a specific contribution to make, right? He says he names five specific uh, roles, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and he says of those specific roles, their job is to equip the saints to do their job, right? So there is a, there is an ordering to the, um, the body to where some are kind of pouring into the body so that then the body can then go and do what the body is supposed to do. Does that sort of make sense? I think we all kind of understand that. So um, where, where I sit and, and, and what I'm um, very passionate about discovering is if God has called me to be a, a pastor and a teacher, then I see my role very specifically as it's my job to equip you for the works of ministry. Right? It ain't my job to do church services. This is not the point. Right? My job is to equip you to do ministry. My job is to equip you for exactly what God has already created and graced you to do. Right? So I want to talk about and I want to show a couple of, of examples of what I would call real ministry. Right? And I use that term specifically because I think um, there was ministry happening originally that we see in the word that is very different from what we call ministry now. And I'd speculate that what we see in the, the disciples uh, before Christ died and then the apostles and the early church after Christ died was likely a lot more close to what ministry is supposed to look like than what we see right now. Can we all agree on that? Can we all agree that likely what we see a lot going on right now, especially in the church, is not specifically what God had in mind? That's a pretty simple distinction to see if you just read the, read, read the Bible, right? So, so, I wanna, so when I say um, 
it's my job to equip you for ministry. When you hear the word ministry, I think you likely think of the wrong things, just to be perfectly honest. All right, so I want to show a couple of examples of what I believe ministry is supposed to look like. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first one is um, I want someone to find Luke chapter 8. And we're going to read 40 through 48. Who wants to find that one? Andy's got that one. Okay, I need someone to find Mark 13 and read 9 through 13. Who wants to do that one? Andrew got that one. All right, Jacob, you get Acts 3, 1 through 16. And I'll do the last one, Acts chapter 5. All right, so these are... Examples of what I believe the Lord is calling our congregation into, specifically the word ministry, the ministry that he is calling us into, the contribution that we are all being called to start contributing to. This is what it looks like. All right, first one, Angie, go ahead. This is, um, first one is Luke 8. 
a woman came up behind him, which he did not know about. She literally just reached out and touched his cloak. And what he perceived was power flowing through him and healing her. Okay, that's example number one. Example number two is Jesus' actual instruction to his disciples. And he told them that they are going to be sent out. And that when they get sent out, they're going to be placed basically in front of the people they're going to need to be in front of. Kings and governors and so on and so forth. And he said, when, when you get there, do not prepare or premeditate what you are going to say. The words will be given to you at that time because it will not be your words. It will be the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Okay? Example number three, we're, we're the two uh, ministering to the guy at the gate, beautiful. They heal him. And what is their response when the crowd is, is amazed? Don't look at us. Why are you looking at us? It was not our power or our godliness that did this, but it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Right? And then the last one was Peter, and that was just uh, kind of a summary, but I think you guys know the story that he used to travel, walk the streets to get to the temple every day, and, um, and the people got into the habit of literally laying sick people on the road because it as Peter was walking to the temple, if his shadow touched some people, they were healed by that. All right? So so take those four examples and think back to Ephesians chapter 4, which tells me if God has called me in this time and this place to be a pastor and a teacher, that it's my job to equip you as the saints for your works of ministry. Right? If your works of ministry are to be able to heal someone from behind that you don't know is there that's going to come up and touch your shirt, or to um, have you walk down the street and you're healed, I mean, I'm sorry, your uh, shadow heals somebody, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to prepare you to do that. I don't know how to teach you to do that. Okay? Listen to me. I don't have a technique for healing someone with your shadow. And I don't have a technique for um, what you were going to say when you get placed in front of kings and governors. And I don't have a technique for power flowing through you from behind when someone touches you. And the reason that is is because real ministry is not a technique. Okay? This is what's real popular right now. If you have any access to the corporate church, the church enterprise, you know what's selling like hotcakes right now? Come to my healing school. Come to my prophetic conference and come and learn the techniques on how to heal people. Come and learn the techniques on how to prophesy. Come and learn the techniques on how to do these supernatural things. I don't know those techniques. And there is no 
precedence in scripture for anyone teaching those techniques. And the reason being is because it is not a technical thing. Okay? Real, real ministry is not a technical thing. So if that's the case, then what is real ministry? What in each of these stories fundamentally is happening? Val? Holy Spirit is moving through them. Okay? If you don't hear anything else, and what we will build on next week, because I'm going long and we need to stop. I can see. Okay? When we talk about real ministry, and we'll, and we'll talk and we'll get into this next week, real ministry is very specifically the Spirit of God flowing through a vessel to accomplish the purposes of God in that moment at that exact time regarding that exact audience, nothing more and nothing less. Okay? We'll stop with that. Except for Diane's got something to say. I just wanted, okay, I, I, I know that God told me something, and so I, but then I forgot about it. Kelly says, well, if you really want to know, he'll remind you. So I won't read what I was reminded. But I'm going to tell you the last piece of it. I do think, though, that um, that your piece your piece is important because it's an, it's an obedience piece. That's what you're teaching us. And so That's get, get out your pens right now because it's going to be like, you know, hashtag, put it on your T-shirt. I don't think I've ever heard it anywhere else. I don't know, this is what. So, furthering God's kingdom one act of obedience at a time. Because all those things that they did, the Holy Spirit was working through them because they were obedient, helping all those other areas of their life. So, if you want to further God's kingdom, it's one act of obedience at a time. It's not, just be that big. Sit on that. Facebook Live. You're on Facebook Live. Thank you. 
we get to the end, the more perceptions will be shared from the pulpit, and the majority of them uh, will will take us away from our leaders. So what Diane was saying is exactly right, and to bring this thing back full circle, not only does God bless our leaders, but our You guys are on Facebook Live. You got anything to say? <laughs> Thanks, brother. Miss you guys.
It doesn't matter. Whatever you guys want to do. You're on Facebook Live right now. No, I didn't want to. You are. <laughs> whatever you guys want to do, whatever is easier. Facebook Live. Oh. Great woman of God, you're on Facebook Live. What do you want to tell the world right now? Thank you to Jesus' love. He has planned for your life. All you have to do is say yes to him. Yes, Little becomes much more places in the Good word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, sure. Good deal. Swimming? Yeah. Oh, man. I guess they got some drops of water. I'll think. Yeah. There's, a, there's some essential oils or something, I think, that might, might be good. Essential oil? Like oregano, maybe? I'll have to look that up. Drop some oils in you're not going to let that bottle go, are you? <laughs> Boom, you're on Facebook Live. Uh -oh. <laughs> how are you going to say to your audience right now after that powerful um, sermon? Take it all to the council of the Lord. Amen. Take everything you hear, align it with the word, and if it aligns, you'll be into it. Beautiful. That was the best. That was the best word ever. That was the that was the best message and talk ever. I think we're all in agreement there. You're on Facebook Live. <laughs> the star of the show. Oh, sorry. Oops. Nope, we didn't see nothing there. <laughs>